Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver, and I am recording this on my 55th birthday. 55 Mays I have seen in my lifetime. Man, time flies, because I felt like it was just yesterday, back in January of 1977, when I was eight years old, that I first started watching The Sweet Science, the greatest sport I've ever seen, the first and only true love of my lifetime. Now, uh, before we get into today's program, and today, once again, we will have a three-part program. Part one, we will review Canelo Alvarez's victory over John Ryder just last night. I'm recording this the morning of May 7th, Sunday. So uh, we'll talk about Canelo's win, another Q&A session, a very packed Q&A session with three uh, music questions that it's going to take a minute for me to answer. This Q&A session this week is going to be very long, very extensive. And we will finish the podcast with my review of George Foreman's new biopic. Now, before I begin the uh, the podcast, once again, I want to promote my monthly Patreon uh, podcast on the life and times of Muhammad Ali. That is only available, like I just mentioned, on Patreon. The link is in the description. You already have three episodes there that I've released. This series is a 10-part series on the greatest performances and most important performances in the life and times of Muhammad Ali inside the ring. I give you an in-depth look at each fight, what was going on in the world at the time, what was leading up to each fight, what was going on in Ali's life at the time, all through the perspective of conversations I had with my father throughout his lifetime, raising me, he would always tell me stories about Muhammad Ali in the 1960s and 1970s. When I started watching boxing in 1977, Ali's career was all but done. So, and there'll only be one fight from 1977 in this series that I'll talk about. Everything else will be between the years of 1965 and 1976. So far, 
the three episodes that are available on the Patreon page. By the way, $5 per month. And you'll get that and you'll also get my 10-part series from last year on the greatest upsets in boxing history. One of which was Ali's incredible victory over Sonny Liston in their first fight. As far as the life and times Muhammad Ali goes, the three episodes that are available so far. His second fight versus Sonny Liston. His fight, his first fight versus Floyd Patterson, and his virtuoso performance, the performance my father said was his greatest performance, his devastating knockout of Cleveland Williams. So those are the three episodes so far available on the Patreon feed. And one last nugget, each fight I give you the timestamp from the YouTube channel Vintage Boxing that I use for the footage. I give you the timestamp. I tell you what time to go to the, the what, what 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 the timestamp of the link i tell you where to go and then i ask you to mute your device or your tv and then listen to me as you watch as i recreate the play-by-play by doing my play-by-play of each and every fight now on to Canelo's uh, performance. Before we get to Canelo's performance, I want to talk about the undercard, the main fight on the undercard. And that was Julio Cesar Martinez defending one of his alphabet flyweight titles against Ronald Batista. First, before I get into the fight, Sergio Moron, Chris uh, Zanix, and Todd Grusom are the worst group of announcers in the history of boxing, the worst collective. As horrible as ESPN is with Joe Tessabor, Timothy Coon Bradley, and the only guy that has any relevancy, that has any credibility on the ESPN boxing team, Andre Ward, at least Andre Ward gives you consistent and great analysis. Nobody at the zone, those three clowns, all they do is give you misinformation after misinformation during the Martinez-Batista fight. Julio Cesar Martinez defended his title against Panamanian contender Ronald Batista. Early in the fight, Todd Grissom goes, Batista trying to become Panamanian's first world champion. You stupid motherfucker. The greatest Latin fighter that ever lived is from Panama, Roberto Duran. Panama has had great champions that are in the Hall of Fame, like Roberto Duran, like Ishmael Laguna, like Hilario Zapata, like Eusebio Pedrosa. What the fuck are you smoking? And then, in the seventh round, Martinez knocks down Batista, and the referee erroneously called it a slip. Before the next round began, the referee changed it to a knockdown after Mauricio Suleiman came up to the ring apron and told him that they had looked at a replay. And none of these buffoons, Mannix, Chris Mannix, Sergio Mora was going on, uh, was going off. Oh, there's no instant replay in boxing, you stupid buffoons. How are you allowed to announce fights? You don't even know the rules of the governing body that you're calling the fight for. The WBC has had in effect for several years now instant replay where 
if a knockdown is in question, they go to the instant replay. They go to the video and see, and then the commission or the referee, after looking at the replay, can then overturn his call and call it either a knockdown or if they didn't think it was a knockdown, a slip. Why are these buffoons allowed to give us misinformation week after week? Look, I'm a boxing historian. These clowns can never tell me anything I do not know. Okay? But you have a lot of casual fans that watch boxing or watching boxing, and they're taking these clowns' words for it because they figured, oh, well, you know, they're getting paid for it. They must be experts. These are fucking... First of all, Sergio Mora was a run-in-the-mill journeyman, all right? Never an elite fighter. Chris Mannix didn't start following boxing until his 20s. And Todd Grisham was a wrestling announcer before he got a boxing gig at the zone. These guys have no knowledge of the history of boxing or what's going on in boxing today. Ronald Batista, he could be the first Panamanian world champion. And never mind the fact that they don't know the difference between a left hook and a left cross, a right hook and a right cross. Anyway, Martinez looked listless for the first six rounds, knocked down Batista in the seventh, systematically broke down Batista and stopped him in the 11th. Julio Cesar Martinez has lost a step. He's got no defense. He is going to get dog-walked by Sonny Edwards if they fight. Sonny Edwards is a excellent boxer, tremendous defensive fighter. He gives you angles. He makes you miss. He is going to dog walk Julio Cesar Martinez, who has no defense left whatsoever. And I said this over and over again through the history of any of my boxing podcasts because my father taught me this. My father taught me when you're an aggressive fighter that throws a lot of punches and has to get inside and has to take punishment or to give punishment, your shelf life is limited. Well, Julio Cesar Martinez's shelf life is all but expired. Then we go to the main event, and once again, these idiots, especially Sergio Mora, these idiots were making it look like John Ryder was a difficult opponent for Canelo Alvarez, that he had a shot, that he was good defensively. Man, Canelo did whatever the fuck he wanted to do with this idiot. I predicted a fifth-round knockout, and in the fifth round, Canelo landed a spectacular right cross, and Ryder crumbled. And I thought, once again, my prediction was going to come to fruition. For some inexplicable reason, Canelo left Ryder off the hook. Ryder's face was completely destroyed. He was bleeding from the mouth. He was bleeding from the nose. His face looked like... Michael Myers had carved it up, and yet Canelo looked to have carried Ryder, and then he punched himself out, and I even gave Ryder two of the last three rounds because Canelo was exhausted. I had given Canelo the first nine rounds. My final scorecard was was in tune with two of the other official scorecards, 118-109, Canelo with a workmanlike decision over John Ryder, a guy who had no business being in the ring with Canelo, despite what the DAZN buffoon said, stated. These guys are horrible. Ladies and gentlemen, you're better off listening to Sade music while watching these mother, watching DAZN fights. I don't know how DAZN is still in business, but I digress. Back to the coverage of the fight. In my opinion... 
Canelo Alvarez has lost a step, and I don't see any way he could beat Dimitri Bavol, David Benavides, or David Morell. Now, this answers a question that is coming up in the Q&A. I can answer right now from Hall of Fame general manager on Twitter. He asked, what do I think of Morel and Benavides? Morel and Benavides are the two best young fighters in 168. Canelo is the undisputed and the true champion at 168. Ladies and gentlemen, he's not beating David Morel. He's not beating David Benavides. And he wants to fight Dimitri Bavol again. Dimitri Bavol is going to beat the shit out of Canelo a second consecutive time. Canelo's a first battle Hall of Famer. You can make an argument that he's the second greatest Mexican fighter of all time. Mine, he's my number two after Salvador Sanchez being my number one. But I do not see a scenario where Canelo could beat Benavides, Morel, or Bavol right now. Canelo has lost a step. And that means a lot when you're fighting young, hungry fighters with speed and power like David Morel and David Benitez and a master boxer in Dimitri Bavol. He's not beating those three guys, ladies and gentlemen. Good luck to you, Canelo. But uh, your time as the number one man in the sport, box office-wise, is coming soon to a close. But you know what? No disrespect. The man has had a hell of a career, a phenomenal career. And there's no doubt if he retired today, three years from now, he will be voted into the Hall of Fame, International Boxer Hall of Fame. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, we go on to my Q&A. Okay, I had answered Erie Avenue's finest Hall of Fame general manager's question about Morel and Benavides. So, I go on to my second boxing question. The last boxing question, the rest will be music questions. From Hall of Fame general manager's great friend, and a great friend of mine, the number one barber in Philadelphia, Toot the Barber. And he asked, because he and I had a discussion, because there was a post about Floyd Mayweather beating 15 consecutive world champions, and I was telling Toot, two-thirds of those guys were not elite fighters, okay? Uh, six of them are in the Hall of Fame. Arturo Gaddy's in, but he doesn't belong in. That's one. That's one of the worst members of the Hall of Fame that ever lived. And uh, Canelo will eventually be in. So, all right, so you'll have almost 50% of those 15 fighters Hall of Famers 
eventually because Canelo's going in. But first of all, they weren't 15 consecutive title fights. They were 15 fights against current or former world champions. A few of those guys like Andre Berto, Victor Ortiz, Arturo Gatti, Robert Guerrero were never elite fighters. So I had this discussion with Toot and Toot was like, um, okay, so who do I consider? And I also told Toot about it's easier than ever the last 25 years to be a world champion because you have four world champions per division. And sometimes with the like with the WBA and WBC, you'll have multiple titles for one uh, organization, interim, franchise. It's bullshit. Anybody could be a world champion. If your promoter promotes you right, you could become a world champion. So Toot was like, all right, so who do I think is the real world champ, real world champion in each division? And so I will answer Toot's question, which is a great question. Who are my Rob Silver world champions per division? At heavyweight, even though Alexander Usyk has three of the four Alphabet Soup titles, I have to give that distinction to Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury has been the lineal world champion for years. He beat Deontay Wilder, knocked him out twice. And even though Tyson Fury is not fighting anybody of relevancy lately, I still have to go with him as my heavyweight world champion. I don't recognize Bridgerweight. Bridgerweight, get that bullshit the fuck out of here. Cruiserweight, I'm going with Lawrence O'Coley. Of the four world champions at Cruiserweight, he's the best fighter of the four, period. Light heavyweight. This is a toss-up. Dimitri Baval and Alec and uh, Arthur Betterbev. They need to fight each other to become the Rob Silver light heavyweight champion of the world. Right now, I'm going to keep that vacant. Super middleweight, you saw him last night. You saw him Saturday night. Canelo Alvarez. He's the undisputed champion, and he's the champion, period, at super middleweight. Middleweight, I got it vacant. I've got it vacant. Um, Triple G gave up his title, but Triple G hasn't beaten anybody in years. And Triple G has never beaten an elite fighter. Triple G, one of the most overrated fighters in the history of boxing. Don't argue with me. Fucking check his record. Check his film. He's never beaten anybody on the level of one of the great, of all the great middleweights of all time. You have Janabak Alam Kanuli, who is a world champion, and he's never beaten anybody. You have Jamal Charlo, who hasn't fought in two years. And you have 95-year-old Erislan Dilara. I have the middleweight title as vacant. Super welterweight champion, that's easy. Jamal Charlo's the undisputed champion. Now, Charlo hasn't fought in almost 18 months. He needs to get his ass in the ring and fight Tim Zhu and stop the bullshit. Right? But he is my super welterweight champion. The welterweight champion, you only have two. And I got to go with Errol Spence because Errol Spence has been world champion now going on six years. He was the, IB, he, the six-year anniversary of his IBF championship is May 27th, two and a half weeks. And he has won the WBC title since then. And the WBA title since then. And despite the fact, <coughs> excuse me, 
<coughs> excuse me, a little cold here on my birthday, my 55th birthday as I, uh, as I uh, record this podcast. It's probably the allergies, hold on. <laughs> Terrence Crawford is the other world champion, but Terrence Crawford has beat, hasn't beaten anybody. And Errol Spence has overcome a major car accident and a major eye injury to continue fighting and continue defending that title. So at welterweight, my world champion is... The one and only Errol Spence. The Rob Silver World Champion at Junior Welterweight is Josh Taylor because Josh Taylor was the undisputed champion. He's given up three of his four titles, and he'll be fighting Tiafimo Lopez next month. But Josh Taylor is my super lightweight champion of the world. Lightweight champion of the world is easy. Devin Haney's the undisputed champion, and you have the major fight with him and Lomachenko coming up in 10 days. Next week, I will give my prediction on that fight. The May 20th super fight between Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko. Devin Haney is the lightweight champion of the world, according to Rob Silver. Super featherweight is vacant. You got four alphabet super world title holders, and none of these guys stand up above anybody. At featherweight, same thing. You've got four uh, alphabet super champions. None of these guys have separated themselves from the pack. Super Bantamweight, two, your, your, your hometown hero, cool boy Stephen Fulton. He is my junior featherweight champion, Super Bantamweight champion, and he will be fighting the former undisputed Bantamweight champion and the best fighter in the world, in my opinion, the monster Nioa Inoue in July, which will be one of the biggest fights in the history of that division. At Bantamweight, uh, there's only one world champion because Nioa Monster Noe gave up all his belts. His younger brother, Takuma Inoue, is the WBA champion, but I'm going to consider that ti- that title vacant because Takuma is no monster. We got to see who wins the other belts before I declare a Rob Silver Bantamweight champion. Super flyweight champion is Juan Francisco Estrada. He beat Chocolatito. He's beaten damn near everybody in the division and is on his way to the Hall of Fame. At flyweight, I'm going to go with Sonny Edwards. Sonny Edwards might be facing Julio Cesar Martinez next to unify two of those belts. But in my opinion, Sonny Edwards is the best of the flyweights. Now, Jesse Bam Rodriguez is up and coming and a real great young fighter. But in my opinion, Sonny Edwards is the true champion at flyweight. Light flyweight is Kenshiro Taraji. He holds two of the three, two of the four titles, and he might be facing Jonathan Gonzalez to have three of those four titles unified. Kenshiro Taraji, one of the best fighters in the world today and one of the best fighters ever to come out of Japan. And so, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, that that answers the great Toot the Barber's question. Now on to, I have several music questions, so let me get to that. All right. Here we go. First music question from my buddy Jesus from Puerto Rico. Jesus was like, yeah, he was happy that Shaka Khan, who was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, finally, after all these years, she's in. Besides Sade and Mariah Carey, who are not in, 
Who do you think deserves to be in that Hall of Fame a long time ago? Man, the list is endless. Jesus, Luther Vandross, New Edition, Mary J. Blige. Man, the list is fucking endless. You cannot tell me New Edition, uh, Boys to Men. Boys to Men, New Edition. Who did I mention? Luther Vandross, Mary J. Blige. It's a long list, but those are four. Four that belong in it. Hold on. Um, think Carl. My buddy Carl. Let me see. My buddy Carl had a similar similar question. Let me let me hear. Here he goes. Here he, here he goes. Carl asks. The Spinners also made the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last week. They were they were voted in along with Chaka Khan. If there was an R and B Hall of Fame name, ten name ten artist groups, each from the seventies, eighties, and nineties that you feel would belong. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. By the way, um, Jesus, that answers your question. Those four of many, I just named four. There's a laundry list of acts that belong in the Rock and Hall of Fame, but I put those four along with Sade and Mariah. That's six. That's egregious. That are not. In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course, Mariah Carey, Sade, they should have been in a long time ago. Mary J. Blige, New Edition, Boys to Men, and Luther Vandross. And that's just six. I could probably name 50. Okay, here we go. Answering Carl's question. If there was an R&B Hall of Fame name, R&B Hall of Fame name 10 artists or groups, each from the 70s, 80s, and 90s that you feel would belong. In the 70s, you've got... Right at the top of the list, the OJs, the Spinners, Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Jacksons, right? The Stylistics, the Temptations, the Ohio Players. And those are just seven groups. Oh, the Isley Brothers. That's eight out of ten. The Whispers, and I'll just name one R&B act from the 1970s. Denise Williams. Then we go to the 1980s. You got Shalimar. You got New Edition. You got the Force MDs. You've got Full Force, who did phenomenal writing and uh, audio performances with not only Lisa Lisa, but themselves. You're ready for the world. Then, of course, Luther Vandross, Whitney Houston. Anita Baker, Sade, and Prince. That's the 80s. Now we go to the 90s. New edition. I mentioned new edition already. Scratch that. From the 90s. Jodeci, Boys to Men, Silk. Jodeci, Boys to Men, Silk. Drew Hill. SWV. The S, the W, the V, S, W, V. Mariah Carey. Keep Sweat. The Pedophile from Chicago. Babyface and Jammin' Lewis. So that answers your question, Carl. All of this was done off the top of my head. I'm sure there's people out there screaming, boy, what about, what about this group? What about this artist? Oh, look, 
I'm doing this off the top of my head. I'm freestyling here. Now, my last music question comes from my good buddy Skis on Twitter. Skis asks, best five albums between Mary J. Blige and Mariah Carey. I'm going to go best six albums between Mariah Carey and Mary J. Blige. With Mary J. Blige, her first three albums, certified classics, period. One of the few artists in the history of music to have their first three albums, classics, every song, a phenomenal song. And that's her What's the 411 album, her My Life album, and her Share My World album. Those three are as great as any albums that came out in the 1990s. Now, when we go to Mariah Carey, my favorite Mariah Carey album is, of course, uh, Music Box. I love that fucking album. So that's one That's one of her three best. And then, of course, her great comeback album, years later, The Emancipation of Mimi. That's a phenomenal album. A phenomenal album. And Daydream, her 1995 album, which was her finally embracing the black side and soul side of her family, period, end of story. She went in and she went in full soul sister. And from Daydream on, she's been an incredible soul singer. Her first few albums, including Music Box, she was more of a pop artist. I love Music Box because Music Box, there were a lot of great ballads on it. Anybody knows me knows I'm a balladeer when it comes to music. I all I listened to today are slow jams, but Daydream was a phenomenal album and The Emancipation of Mimi, three classics. So those, in my opinion, skis are the six best albums between Mariah and Mary. Now, on to my review of George Foreman's biopic. Now, my review of Big George Foreman, the biopic that came out April 28th, I'm Recording this as I've just arrived from the Magic Johnson movie theater in Harlem. I'm back home, took my mom and uh, my nephew to go see this movie for my birthday. My lady and her daughter couldn't attend because they both are, uh, they both have COVID at the, at the moment and they're being quarantined. So, you know, we couldn't afford to uh, have them out there getting other people sick or getting even sicker than they are. So uh, hopefully my lady and her baby get better soon. Now, on to the review of Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. I love this movie. Now, let me get through with the negatives first before I get into the overwhelming positive nature of this movie the actors that played Muhammad Ali uh, I think Sullivan Jones played Muhammad Ali and the guy who played Howard Cosell Matthew Glaive now no one does a Howard Cosell better than the OG Rob Silver this idiot Matthew Glaive sounded nothing like Howard Cosell not a pimple on the uh, Holly. If anybody from Hollywood wants to do a boxing movie from the seventies and eighties, and needs someone to do the Howard Cosell voice, hire me. I'll do the voice, and you can have an actor playing 
Howard Cosell while lip syncing my Howard Cosell impersonation. Because no one does Howard Cosell better than the original great Rob Silver. Sullivan Jones looked like a cartoon character playing Muhammad Ali. Ladies and gentlemen, the only person that ever played Muhammad Ali accurately was the great brother from One Night in Miami that played Muhammad Ali when he played a young Cassius Clay. That young man killed it. Ladies and gentlemen, Hollywood out there, if you guys want to do another movie in which Muhammad Ali is a central character in the movie, you got to hire Eli Gorey. Eli Gorey did the definitive Muhammad Ali in One Night in Miami, not Will Smith. No one else comes close. Eli Gorey captured the facial expressions, the playfulness, the walk, the swagger of Muhammad Ali. The only one who ever did it. Will Smith sounded like a Philadelphia dude trying to do a Louisville accent. Eli Gorey captured everything. The Louisville accent, the swagger, the eyes, the playful nature, everything of Muhammad Ali. Now, back to Big George Foreman. Those were the biggest negatives of the movie, were those two idiots. Everything else was tremendous, tremendous. I have a formula that I go by when it comes to if determining whether or not a movie or a TV series is going to be good to great. And that is if there are three wire actors, three former actors from the wire or more in that particular vehicle. There would have been three in this movie. Sonia Sohn was tremendous as George Foreman's mother. Lawrence Gilliard Jr., was very solid playing Archie Moore. He did a, a, a he did a fine job with the limited amount of scenes he was in. Michael K. Williams would have played Doc Brodus, the man who taught George Foreman how to box when George Foreman was in the job corps and was with George throughout his entire career, both from 1968 to 1977 and when he returned from 1987 when he retired in 1998. I would have loved to see what Michael K. Williams could have done with this role, but let me tell you something. It would have been hard to do better than what Forrest Whitaker did. Forrest Whitaker was tremendous, and Forrest Whitaker looks more like Doc, the real Doc Brodus than Michael K. ever did. But Michael K., a legendary actor, a great actor, he could body everything. He would have done a fine job. Would it have been better than Forrest Whitaker? I don't know, but we'll never know. We'll never know, but Forrest Whitaker was his usual tremendous self. And the brother that played George Foreman, Chris Davis, the most uh, noticeable thing he ever did, the most notable role he ever played was Tracy in, I think, season two of Atlanta. And he was he played an asshole in that series to a T. Well, he captured everything about George Foreman in this movie. I know George Foreman, who was a consultant, had to have been proud with the way young Mr. Davis portrayed him. Chris Davis played George Foreman from when he was 17 till he was 45, and he bodied both 
the Afro George Foreman and the ball headed George Foreman to a T. He threw, if anybody, well, you guys are hardcore boxing fans, so you've seen footage of George Foreman, and you know how he used to throw wide uh, punches to, to the body, wide lefts and rights to the body. Chris Davis captured that way of of punching to a T and he had George Foreman's facial expressions he had he had George Foreman's sense of humor when George Foreman came back cuz remember ladies and gentlemen there was two types of George Foreman and they captured it brilliantly in the movie there was the angry George Foreman who grew up in poverty and was angry at the world until he collapsed in the dressing room after he lost to Jimmy Young in 1977 and then went in a 10-year sabbatical to become a preacher he became a preacher in Houston and he did everything he could to help the people of that community in Houston with his with, with, with his uh, ministry Joe, uh, Chris Davis was just tremendous one of the best portrayals of a boxer I have ever seen um, I'm not going to say it was better than De Niro as LaMotta because De Niro nailed LaMotta. That, the quintessential real-life boxer played by an actor, the standard bearer is Robert De Niro. That's top of the food chain. No one has done a better job at playing a boxer than De Niro. I would put Chris Davis on the next level because De Niro's by himself, all right? Um, Paul Newman was solid to very good as Rocky uh, Graciano in uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me. But the problem I have with that movie is the same problem my mother and father had with that movie. So Paul Newman was too pretty, too good-looking of a dude to play Rocky Graciano, who was not the best-looking dude. Now, Paul Newman brought his best and was tremendous in portraying a dude down and out growing up but that pretty face of his just had you missed the mark if if Paul Newman looked like Joe Pesci it would have been on that Robert De Niro level of playing um uh when De Niro played Jake LaMotta also um other other notable actors that played real life boxers Usher as Sugar Ray Leonard in the Roberto Duran um, Hands of Stone movie was solid, but not as great as Chris Davis as George Foreman. So, quick, quick recap. De Niro's by himself, and then you have, on the next level, Chris Davis is on that Eli Gorey as Muhammad Ali and Paul Newman as... Rocky Graciano level of actors who portrayed the real life boxers and did a great job. De Niro's by himself, then then the others below. Chris Davis on that second tier, which is saying a lot. Which is saying a lot. When when you could say the only guy who bodied a real life boxer better than you was one of the all time greats in Robert De Niro, you did a phenomenal job. He killed it. Him and Forrest Whitaker's chemistry throughout the whole entire movie was tremendous. The young woman, now, 
one thing the movie did was they skipped over a lot of the wives George Foreman had. George Foreman, if you go by the movie, George Foreman only had two wives. Uh Uh-uh. George Foreman had more than two wives. <laughs> George Foreman had either four or five wives, if I, if my memory serves me correct. But they only showed his first wife and his second wife. His first wife, played by the very uh, beautiful Sheen Montpremier, she, uh, she was good for the limited roles. Uh, scenes that she had for the limited roles she had. Jasmine Matthews as George Foreman's fourth or fifth wife and current wife Mary Joan Foreman she did a a a very good job and she was like George's conscience and you can tell that because George said this in his autobiography which this book is based on that she completed him and she made him a better person and ladies and gentlemen when you are a man like myself like George like a lot of the men that are watching this program and you're looking to be successful in whatever you're doing. It could be a bus driver. It could be a sanitation guy. It could be a sanitation worker, a social worker, a teacher. You have to have the right partner to help you reach your highest, reach the best. And Mary Joan Foreman has done that with George Foreman. And they've been married now for almost 40 years. So, uh, Kudos to Jasmine Matthews for capturing the essence of George's wife and why that relationship helped make George a better person. And she was his conscience. Chris Davis, tremendous performance, tremendous performance. I highly recommend this movie to everybody out there listening. Historically, when it comes to the facts, there was a couple of things they missed out on. But you know what? That's how boxing movies go. As far as George Foreman's career, they stayed true to his career with his wins and losses. Um, they, they highlighted his Olympic gold medal win. And, of course, the controversy over him waving the American flag during a time when the uh, black athletes were protesting at an all-time high level. Um, they showed, oh, Man, the guy, I don't even want to mention his name. The actor who played Howard Cosell, who was announced, they had him recreate the announcing of Joe Frazier versus George Foreman when Foreman knocked him out in the second round to win the heavyweight championship of the world. It was horrible, horrible because the actor who played Cosell made it sound like Cosell was saying that Foreman had no shot against Joe Frazier when in fact... Howard Cosell told everybody and anybody that would listen that George Foreman would knock out Joe Frazier. It's the reason why when Joe Frazier went down and Cosell goes, Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! All that emotion and excitement came out of him because he had been telling everybody all along that Joe Frazier had no shot against George Foreman, not the way the media was claiming as George Foreman came into a fight, a heavy underdog. So uh, they missed the boat on the guy. Hollywood, every time you do a movie, if you're going to do a movie about Ken Norton or Larry Holmes, make sure Eli Gorey is playing Muhammad Ali. And 
hire me to do Cosell's voice and have any old white dude play Cosell while they lip sync my darling Howard Cosell's voice. I highly recommend this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. My nephew loved it because he learned a lot about a, a, a fighter he didn't know much about. My mother loved it because she hated George in the 70s, but she loved George just like my father did when he came back and had his great run. And of course, the movie ends with George Foreman becoming the oldest and still is the oldest heavyweight champion of all time at the age of 45 when he miraculously knocked out Michael Moore in the 10th round after taking a beating for nine rounds. A-plus performance from Chris Davis, A-performance from Forrest Whitaker, A-performance, an A-performance for Sonia Son, who was tremendous as George's uh, wife, a B-plus to A-minus for Jasmine Matthews, as George's wife and a solid B for the woman who played George's first wife. I can't give her a higher grade because she didn't have a lot of roles. Uh, a lot of her role was limited. So ladies and gentlemen, highly recommended. Please go watch it. If uh, you don't like it, you can always DM me on Twitter and tell me why the fuck did I waste my time? But I don't think you will waste your time seeing the big George Foreman biopic playing in theaters now. Next week, we will begin my 25 greatest knockouts of all time series. We will do another Q&A, so please, for, for your questions, hashtag AskRobSilver on Twitter. Until next week, everyone, please be blessed and be a blessing. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.